Good morning, Cornerstone. They were the strong. They were the strong. And after returning from combat in 1918, they proved just how strong they were. The veterans who fought in the First World War deployed onto the battlefields of Europe, full of hopefulness and vigor, ready to meet the challenge that lied before them. Many of them returned from the battlefield with a new appreciation for their freedoms and an eagerness to restart their lives. And what they expected was that they would be hailed back in America as heroes, promoted as mentors. What they expected was they would be treated with great respect but this poster, now hanging in the National World War I Museum in Kansas City, Missouri, is what met them shortly after they returned from combat. It was a message from an apprehensive and an ungrateful nation, worried that these combat veterans returning home would be a disruptive presence in society worried that these injured and wounded combat veterans would become a financial burden on the nation. The poster, as you can see, depicts two soldiers. The one neatly dressed, standing erect, proud, and alert, and the other standing slouched and lazy, looking shady, looking disoriented. And the caption beneath the picture asked the question, which will make the better citizen? Which would you give a job to? And the message was clear. The sarcastic dig was distressing and the pain and the shame it caused those combat veterans was real. The country was inconsiderate of the wounds that these soldiers had earned on the battlefield, the sacrifices they had made. And what they wanted American, what they wanted these soldiers to know was that if they wanted to be respected in American society, they had to earn it all over again. Never mind your wounds, never mind your problems. But they were the strong, and society was weak. And yet these soldiers had to bear the insults, the insinuations, the mockery of those who had given very little, and yet benefited the most from their strength and from their courage. Why? Because that's what strong people do. This is Paul's message to the strong in Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. But maybe this is the overall purpose of the entire book of Romans altogether. As Paul in these past 14 chapters responds to the misguided opinions of those who are weaker in faith. 
The weak find fault with the sins of others because they do not see themselves and they do not know themselves to be just as sinful as the ones that they judge. The weak in faith of the grace of God think they find favor with God by doing good. They are imperfect perfectionists, dotting every I and crossing every T out of fear of punishment while the strong are at rest in the love and in the grace of God. Those who are weak in faith feel inferior and insecure, imagining that God is partial and that certain people are treated more special than others by him. While the strong in faith observe no such partiality in God. The weak in faith boast in their works, while the strong boast only in their God. The weak tend to think they're justified by faith and by their works, while the strong know that they are justified by faith and that their works are merely a consequence of God's grace in their lives. The weak in faith are trying to prove their spirituality, striving to be known as spiritual ones. But the strong are at peace with God and within themselves. And the reason is because the weak derive their moral compass from the word of God, from the current culture, and from popular opinion. But the strong discern the difference between truth and opinion. The weak have not died to themselves and therefore sin continues to reign in their bodies. But the strong have been crucified within. And while they may not win every battle, they're certain that their standing before God is ever secure. And there you have it. The weak and the strong. Two dramatically diverse characters joined together in Jesus Christ, but with quite divergent views, with quite divergent experiences of life in Jesus Christ. The one being laser focused on pleasing God alone, but the other, the weaker, is hyper focused on pleasing God and entertaining philosophies of the world at the same time. The one, the stronger one, standing firmly in the paradox of spiritual things. While the other, the weaker, is wavering to and fro between certainty and the unknown. The weak and the strong. I brought this chart to help to illustrate my point. This is a visual and an approximate road map to help us better grasp the spiritual progression of our life of faith so that we understand what Paul is talking about when he's talking about those who are strong and those who are weak. This chart, this chart was developed in the late 15th century. It's undergone many changes since it was first created. But this remains a fairly accurate approximation of the process of our spiritual growth process that consists of six stages of faith, from repentance to the life of love. Stage one represents the moment that we give our lives to Jesus Christ. 
Then stage two, which is discipleship. This signifies our time of training, our time of being equipped with sound doctrine, theology, and with the word of God. And this may be the most nostalgic times of our walk of faith. New discoveries, increased understanding of the word of God, increased understanding of God, a, a deep sense of belonging to God. You remember what that was like when you first gave your life to Christ. Then there's stage three which represents the productive life. We begin to implement the things that we've been learning. We start working in the church, volunteering in the church, participating in outreach, investing more of our time in the work of the Lord. Stage three of our life of faith. But then something happens in stage four. Stage four, sanctification becomes the call of the day. And we become moved by the Holy Spirit to see deeper within ourselves. To learn what truly motivates us. We begin to see ourselves behind our masks to address the infrastructures of our own sinful nature. And this is where things begin to get interesting. And this is what begins to separate the weak from the strong. Because by this time, over the past 10 years, we felt like we've been making progress. And we have. And while the progress has been real in stages one through three, the progress has been real, but the progress is for the most part superficial. Window dressing. And much of our spiritual growth to this point has been cosmetic in nature. Dealing with external sins. Learning how to live as Jesus followers in this sinful world. Learning, practicing, and depending on religious ritual, religious institutions and creeds as supports to our faith. But somewhere in stage four, you hit a wall. You're going along in Christ and somehow you hit a wall. A place of resistance. Resistance to another ounce of truth. In fact, everything you've learned, every doctrine you've ascribed to, and every spiritual lesson that you have learned is suddenly called into question. The wall. It is a wall that feels like and seems impenetrable, immovable, unclimbable. And it begins to feel as if your growth has come to an abrupt halt, like your way has been barred. This wall stands before you and projects itself as a final rule that you have come this far, but you can go no further, period. The wall. It sounds like something that the enemy of our souls would do to put such a great obstacle in our way. And every time you try to, to advance upon it, it pushes you back as though you were nothing more than a flea. And you buckle down, if you're a good Christian, you buckle down and you employ all of your theological learning and you employ all of your biblical learning, but it doesn't make a dent in this wall. And you stop to wonder, 
What is this? What power? What force has the power to interrupt my journey toward God? What power or what force is this that so vigorously and so earnestly withstands the decrees of my God? And you wait for the answer, but the answer is enough to send you into a years-long tizzy because you have finally met the enemy and the enemy is you. And this wall represents your own sinful nature. I want to be clear, not your theological, not your conceptual sinful nature, your actual self. And he is much bigger than you had imagined from descriptions in your theology book. He is more muscular. He makes the Incredible Hulk look like a paper tiger, your sinful nature. He is big and strong because you have been feeding him since the day that you were born. Your deeper self. Your sinful nature is the consolidation of your lifetime of lies and half-truths, of traumas, of pains, of struggles, of misunderstandings and misgivings, of unforgiveness and insecurities, all coming together to form the core of a self that you did not even know existed within you. The truth beyond your surface. Hmm. And it is this wall, this brawny, monstrous you that you have to contend with if you want to get through it to the other side. Most Christians that have come to this wall remain there for years. Some even die there. Because the spiritual fortitude required to scale this wall, to break through it feels like it's out of reach. You have met the enemy and the enemy is you. The opponent is you and you, your sinful nature, is bigger than you thought. Other believers come to the wall and they retreat from the wall, traveling back in time, going back through stages one through three all over again, repurchasing old books that they read long ago, re-engaging in old theological arguments, seeking out new theories, new myths to grab hold of, all in an effort to avoid the fight of their lives because they do not have the faith to face the giant. And to make matters worse, in the middle of their initial battle at the wall, the light of heaven seems to have grown dim. And this Christian soldier can barely see her way. It is the wall. It is as if God himself has abandoned you. It is as if, as if you're more sinful than even God can tolerate the wall. And this is the test, the question that whispers to you in the darkness. And the question is this, do you really believe that God can love someone as messed up, as afflicted, as hypocritical, as fake, 
as you. Do you really believe that? And if you haven't been to the wall before, then of course you can confidently answer, absolutely, yes, God loves me. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. In fact, it's rather easy to believe. You study your Bible every day, you pray incessantly, of course Jesus loves me because I do all the things that please him. But you only feel that way because your sinful nature is yet hypothetical. It's yet a thing of your mind. When you stand facing your deeper self, a momentary hesitation is warranted. And a season of frustrated faith will ensue. No matter how much information you bring to the fight, the experience at the wall is the same for every believer. The very surprise of the true power of your sinful nature is astonishing. And as much as you should prepare yourself to meet yourself, you will still be amazed when God allows you to see yourself as you truly are. When God deploys you onto the beachhead of yourself with the unmistakable command to overwhelmingly conquer it. It is the fight of your life. But it's not a fight for your life. But this is the fight for you to experience your truest freedom in Jesus Christ. A freedom that until now you thought was only available after you transition to heaven. But now you begin to realize that there is life and there is freedom beyond the wall. And so there are those who remain at the wall for numerous years, putting up the best fight that they can trying to come to a place of stable faith. And as they're fighting, they're being strengthened by the Holy Spirit. But the other one, the one who turns back, this is the one who is weak and without strength. He is without strength and all those at the previous stages are as weak as he is, at stages one through three. They're babes in Christ. But the one who retreats is weak because they did not trust God to help them break through the more challenging wall of their own doubt, of their own fear, of their own trauma. And then finally there are those who make it through that wall. Through days of turmoil and nights of tears and fears, they resurface on the other side having their sinful nature drowned beneath the waves of the Holy Spirit. Once they realize that the sinful nature within us cannot be defeated by the same person who created it. The sinful nature must be yielded to Jesus Christ as a living sacrifice. That is all that can be done. And this is the one who finally realized that the, truly the way up is down. And the road that leads to life in Christ is the road of death. So that she did not defeat herself to get through the wall. She died to herself. 
and now she lives more fully than she has ever lived before. Now he is strong, but he is not gone to heaven, no. Now he is strong, but he is sent right back into the church. She is directed by God right back into relationship with other believers who have not yet undergone this harrowing experience, and some who have. But there's a problem now. And the problem is that now he is an outlier. Now she is considered by many within the church to be a liability because he disregards the status quo, because, because he shows no interest in custom or in common religious practices, because he too easily dismisses the opinions of men and of the world, because he is free. And yet her freedom is interpreted by the weak as hubris or pride. And his lack of confidence in the opinions of the majority sets him at odds with the world and much of the church of Jesus Christ. But he is not moved. But he does have to accommodate the insults and the accusations, the misdirected bitterness and vitriol, as Paul directs us here. In verse 1, when he says, we who are strong, are to bear the weaknesses of those who are without strength. To bear the weaknesses means to accommodate the unfounded opinions of those without strength, those who lack sufficient faith to live free. Paul is instructing us here that we are to put up with, to entertain their opinions of ourselves as best we can and not just please ourselves. I like to study Christian history. And there was a time in my life where I really admired the monks. You know the monks who find Jesus and go out into the, into the desert and just sit there by themselves quiet and all day they just hum and moan and think about Jesus all day long and write books and write quotes and everything. I used to admire those people so they were the strong to me. And some of the things they came up with while they were sitting there in the desert are really impressive. If, you, if you've ever studied the monks, you know what I'm talking about. They came up with some very interesting theology out in the desert all by themselves. I always admired them. And one day I realized, no, they're not really strong because the only way they could maintain their freedom was to disconnect and to disengage from humanity. They had to leave the church. No. The truly strong are strong and they stay with the church. They don't run away to a hillside. Paul is saying you are not to leave. You are to accommodate the weaker brother and his opinion of you and of your practices and not just live to please yourself. Or not just enjoy your freedom or flaunt your freedom in their faces. If the full acceptance of my freedom in Jesus Christ 
makes my brother or my sister feel uncomfortable, I must be willing to delay my gratification, the gratification that I know belongs to me for their sakes. <laughs> what a sacrifice. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to edification. And that is a helpful nuance, brothers and sisters, that the strong are to be willing to delay walking in their blood-bought freedoms as long as it benefits the weak one. And yet if the weak one is demanding something that will not benefit him, the strong is under no obligation to accommodate because it won't do him any good for the strong to buy into false doctrine. It won't do the weak any good for the strong to buy into spiritual misnomer in effort to make the weak one feel at ease. That will do him more harm than good. But as it relates to matters of his opinion of the strong person, the strong person should be willing to relent and to relinquish his own freedoms for the sake of his brother or his sister in Christ. And before the combat Christian, who has been through the bowels of personal hell can protest against this seemingly unfair resolution, Paul points out to him that this is the way Jesus lived. Verse three, even Christ did not please himself. Even Christ did not live and conduct himself as freely as was his right. Even Christ did not put up an argument against people who falsely accused him. But as it is written, Paul says, the taunts of those who taunt you have fallen on me. Jesus Christ was taunted, ridiculed mercilessly, falsely accused, insulted, persecuted, and even killed because his faith in God made him such an outlier. And the weak could not tolerate his level of confidence in God. Some thought he was mad. Some thought he was a child of the devil. Some thought he was the devil incarnate. When in truth, Jesus Christ was merely empty of a sinful self. And because of this, Jesus Christ was totally free. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 declares that though he was in the form of God, Jesus did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but he emptied himself. He did not exploit his power or his position. He did not take full advantage of all of his freedom. He did not demand the honor that was due him, but instead he emptied himself. He denied himself his just due for the good and for the sake of those who were without strength. Verse four, for whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. 
It is only by the fruit of the spirit of patience, perseverance. It is only by a steady diet of the word of God that the strong find hope in the midst of weak brothers and sisters who make it their aim to destroy them. Hmm. And what is his hope? What is the hope of the strong? Does the strong hope that God will do away with his naysayers? Is it the hope of the strong that God will vindicate him before the congregation? No. The hope of the strong is found in verses 5 and 6. That the God who gives him perseverance and encouragement will grant to all believers to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. So that with one purpose and with one voice we may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, the hope of those who are strong in faith is that God will cause us all to become strong in faith so that we can see, hear, and come to understand all spiritual things in the same way because we see spiritual things by the same light. That is the hope of the strong. The hope of the strong is that the weak will be strengthened in their faith. But until then, let the strong bear the weaknesses of those who are without strength. Because that's what strong believers do. Let's pray. Lord Jesus. as we look at the chart and consider our own lives and our own selves, it is easy for us to draw conclusions as to where we are in our walk and our stages of faith. It is easy for some to feel encouraged and for some to feel discouraged. But our prayer today, Lord Jesus Christ, is not that you would make us stronger but that you would have mercy on us in our weakness. That the weak would be able to say that they are strong and that the strong would take on even more strength and faith in you. Help us to be patient with one another. Help us to be compassionate and to love one another genuinely with the love of Jesus Christ. Help us not to reject one another out of fear, out of insecurity. Thank you, Lord God, for the love that you have sown in this place, in this house, among your children. We pray, Lord God, that we will all grow together in Jesus Christ. That we will all come to see and to hear and to understand your will as one that we would speak with one voice in agreement and thereby bring glory to your name. For this is your desire, Lord Jesus Christ, that we would be one even as you and the Father are one. Help us not to judge ourselves among ourselves. Help us not to belittle one another, but to encourage one another daily in the faith. 
and for those few who are strong. Help us, Lord God, to be able to withstand the assaults of those who are weaker and to pray that they may grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that they would come to the wall of resistance of their own sinful nature and that they might get the victory over the Goliath that would hold them back from walking in the truest liberty and freedom that you have offered us through your cross. We pray for growth today. We pray for spiritual strength today, strength to face the giants that lie ahead. Thank you for your grace and for your peace that we have in Christ Jesus. Now give us rest. Allow us to deeply consider and to look within, to allow the light of your Holy Spirit to shine a light on our truest core. Help us to stand in faith and trust in you to defeat the work of our adversary within, to be transformed into children of light. In Jesus' name, amen.